everybody. Welcome out. Another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, joined as always by Uncle David Durfee. What's up, Dave? Uh, good to be here, Scott. Kind of burr, though. Yeah, it's been burr. bitter, brutal, cold on the Wasatch Front over the last couple of days, and uh, I don't think it's going to let up anytime. Yeah, snow, snow, Super snow. Soon. Let it snow. It just came a month late. Yeah, it did. Uh, the ski resorts are loving it, which means I'm loving it so that I can get up there. I've been up a few times. Can't wait to get back up, though, when the snow actually gets a little better. Good to be with you, Scott. And I know we've been talking about the the resurrection. Um, again, this is kind of uh, maybe our last uh, discussion about the atonement of Jesus Christ, the four elements of the atonement of Jesus Christ, what make up what we call the atonement. Just to review, one, the sin, his sinless life wouldn't have been easy, and out of great sacrifice, he never committed a sin. And that would have been a lot harder for him than it is even for us. And so, because, again, of the degree, the source, and all that he suffered through temptation. Gethsemane, we talked about that. Special beliefs we have about Gethsemane. We talked about the cross and how we need to maybe even, I think, in our culture, focus more on the cross. And uh, we're talking about his death and resurrection. So we talked, I think, about kind of the events the events of the atonement and the events of his resurrection. I, I just want to kind of follow up and talk about the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection, and today talk a little bit about the order of the resurrection. You know, we talk a lot about in our church, and I think in our church only, we talk about the morning of the first resurrection. Well, if there's a morning and there, that means there's probably an afternoon or evening. And uh, I, I just think it's interesting to review kind of what we believe about the order of the resurrection, Scott. So let's, let's uh, jump into that today. David and I were talking earlier about how important it is to have a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to really understand. And, you know, one of the things I think that you asked me a few minutes ago as we've been talking about this this morning is you, you, you said, Scott, what if you had absolute knowledge and there was no doubt and there, there was not no faith required, but you knew that you would be resurrected, that the resurrection is real, and you had that real knowledge of that, how would your life be different? And I, as, as we begin this process and talking about this today, I, I invite all of our listeners, and I, I've accepted the invitation myself as well. Uh, let's, let's pay attention, let's listen to and figure out how will our lives be different? Would they be different if we had a, a, a complete testimony or a real testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, the, and the, you know, the resurrection that, that will come? to all of us eventually. So I, I love that you put pose that uh, earlier, David, when we were talking about these things. I think that's something that, uh, you know, we should all be considering as we go through this. It, it not only changes, I think, your approach to life, how you live life, because it, it does that for me. But it also, Scott, I think, gives me such such peace. I know I know death is sad and mournful and all of that, but it's not something that needs to be feared. 
And there's just so many people who fear it. And I think it's because they do not have the real knowledge, understanding of the, uh, of the uh, resurrection right. of Jesus Christ himself and the resurrection of, of all mankind. I mean, I know we bear testimony all the time in the church. You hear it all the time every first Sunday of the month. You know, I know that Christ lives. But I wonder if they really feel or see or know what they're saying when they say that. I, I know they believe it, but I, I just think if they really knew that, what does that mean about, what's the implication of that in regards to the resurrection of all mankind? You know, we talked about the events last uh, last time, Scott, about all of the witnesses, you know, the, the Mary and the 11, because Judas is gone, committed suicide, the 11 apostles, when he enters the room, the door is closed, by the way, Luke makes that point, the door is closed, and he enters the room, the, the power of a resurrected being to enter a room, like Moroni did on September 21st, 1823, when he entered the cabin as a resurrected being. Uh, resurrected beings have have certain powers and abilities. They work at a different dimension than we do. And I, there's so much to, to know and learn that we, that we don't really know now about what a resurrected being is. But there were so many witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, Scott. I mean, we have a dozen of either individuals or large groups, so equaling in the thousands and thousands, really, of those who saw Jesus Christ and became eye and ear witnesses of his physical resurrection. Well, I just, if we would have been one of those, you know, if you could be an eye or ear witness of the resurrection, how would that change your life? And it's just interesting that after the resurrection is over and after he has ascended into heaven, I we may have read this last time, but I, I kind of wanted to begin in the book of Acts today. In in the book of Acts, Jesus spends 40 days with them. 40 days, Scott, as a resurrected being. Yeah. I, I mean, that ministry, if we knew much about that ministry, I think that would change our lives. Yeah. But uh, this... Luke, writing the book of Acts, says in verse 3, speaking of Jesus Christ, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, or we could say his suffering, his atonement, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Wow, many infallible proofs. Well, what proof do you have? What proof do I have? What proof do our listeners have of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I want to share a few of those today as as well as just talk about witnesses, I and your witnesses that we have of the physical resurrection. And then as they after Jesus has ascended into heaven, you know, and he, he the those two men in white, those two angels, which I think uh Many kind of have accepted that it might is probably Michael and Gabriel, and they say, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, this is verse eleven of Acts chapter one, 
this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Wow. With a physical body, resurrected body, he didn't slough it off. He didn't leave it behind. He didn't hide it somewhere. Jesus Christ has a physical body. Our Heavenly Father has a physical body. We know that there are other beings who have been resurrected and have physical bodies. And we'll talk a little about the, about that today and the order of the resurrection. But in verse, in verse 22 of this same chapter, as they're discussing about who should replace Judas as the member of the 12, the newest member of the 12, they talk about some qualifications that would be required to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 21 and 22, maybe, Scott, you want to read those? Yeah, you bet. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the day unto that same day that he was taking up from us, must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So the qualification to be an apostle or a member of the Twelve then was what? Witness with us of his resurrection. A witness of his resurrection. That hasn't really changed Scott, when we talk about uh, our living apostles being special witnesses of Christ or special witnesses of the name of Christ to all the world, section 107 of the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, we're really talking about being witnesses. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that they have to see, they have to touch, but I just want to share with you the apostolic charge here given by Joseph F. Smith, which I have always found to be really interesting. President Joseph F. Smith, and this was in a general conference, so it even kind of raises the level of, I think, importance. I think it was like 1906 in general conferences. Him talking about the apostles, living apostles, says these 12 disciples of Christ are supposed to be I and ear witnesses of the divine mission of Jesus Christ. It is not permissible for them to say, I believe, simply. I have accepted it simply because I believe it. Read the revelation. The Lord informs us they must know. They must get the knowledge for themselves. It must be with them as though they had seen with their eyes and heard with their ears, and they know the truth. In another statement, a uh, later statement, he said, every member of the Council of the Twelve Apostles should have, and I feel sure have had, the knowledge of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, this does not come necessarily by direct visitation of the Savior, but it does come from the sure testimony of the Holy Ghost. The testimony of the Holy Ghost is the strongest testimony that can be given. I believe that. I believe we have living apostles who, like Peter, qualifying who could be or should be the next apostle selected, I think they have to be eye and ear witnesses. 
Now, whether that's in a, in a dream or a vision or even the eye of faith or uh, something given to them by the gift and power of the Holy Ghost, they have those witnesses. I, I've had some pretty special experiences in my life, Scott, listening to testimonies of the Twelve who came, I think, really close, sharing some detail about those, uh, about those witnesses. I was in the Marriott Center. This was right after I had been married, and Chris and I were living in Provo. I didn't have any children. I went to the Marriott Center all alone and setting up in the rafters because I just wanted to be alone. There was a few around me, but I, I remember this distinctly. It was so powerful. And I remember listening to Spencer W. Kimball. I, uh, this would have been in like 1978. I'm sorry, I don't have the the exact uh, month or year, but but I I was sitting there listening to him in a priesthood session of general conference. It was being uh, I went I'd gone there. You know they were still listening to it on the radio in stake centers, but I'd gone to the Marriott Center because they had this new thing about short wave television. And we could actually see him in the Marriott Center Satellite on a big TV uh, on a big screen. What is it? Satellite TV. Satellite right? TV, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And and I I so I wanted to I wanted to see him on the big screen and <laughs> and he, you know he was in in the tabernacle and I was watching this and I remember when he got to the end of his testimony, he said, "I want to like my predecessor, John Taylor." I know that God lives, and I know that Jesus Christ lives because I have seen them. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's how he ended his testimony. And I remember about falling off the bench. I mean, it, it, it physically affected me when I heard that. And I remember there was a guy kind of sitting down to my right in front of me who gasped an older man and he gasped gasped i mean physically it went <gasps> there there was kind of a, a gasp that went across the marriott center so i don't know i i'll never forget that and i believe that scott i was at the uh, mtc when uh, elder Haight, david b Haight, just a few years before he passed and he was sharing with his, uh, with the missionaries at the uh, at the MTC, his testimony, his call, his call to the twelve. Let me kind of paraphrase. But this is this is what he said. He said, "I remember that when I was called to the twelve, and they set me apart in the in the meeting with the first presidency in the quorum of the twelve at the very end of the meeting." That was the last thing on the agenda to set me apart as an apostle. And he said, uh, when President Kimball set me apart, and uh, after, after he had set me apart as an apostle, he said to me, now, Brother Haight, this room is available for the rest of the day. I would counsel you to stay here until you receive your special witness. And he said, they all left me. That was the end of the meeting, and they all left me. And I was just there alone. 
and he said, I didn't know what to do. So he said, I prayed. And he said, there were pictures of the Savior in the room, several pictures of just the Savior in the room. And he said, I started to stand in front of each picture. And I would, st- I would stand there and ponder the story or the event depicted by the picture. And he said, I would go to the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And then he paused, and he said, I can't tell you everything, but when I left that room, I was a special witness. I don't know if that's a pattern. I don't know if that's always what they do, but I remember when he was sharing that, man, the missionaries were feeling it, and I was too. I was sitting on the stand with Chris, and I remember us feeling that that witness that he shared of being a special witness. And I know the missionaries felt it too, and I'll never, ever forget that meeting. And I've I've heard I've heard in other public meetings, you know, some of the witnesses, like for example, Boyd K. Packer. This was in the uh, sesquicentennial, right, of the uh, church, 150th anniversary, and President Packer stated, "I can read this. I felt I feel compelled on this 150th anniversary of the church to certify to you." that I know that the day of miracles has not ceased. I know that angels minister unto men. I am a witness to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, and that he has a body of flesh and bone, that he knows those who are his servants here, and he is known of them. The Lord reveals his will through dreams, visions, visitations, through angels, through his own voice, and through the voice of his servants. I remember I remember that witness. I remember um, another time when uh, President Packer talked about, you know, it's kind of near one of the end of his testimonies, near the end of his life, when he said, I not only know he lives, I know him. And there have been others who have said that, and there have been many of the prophets who have borne testimony. Uh, Melvin J. Ballard, who saw him in a dream or vision when he was uh, in Montana. Uh, that's been well documented. Wilford Woodruff uh, bears witness uh, when he was uh, called to be president of the church, a visitation that, that he received. Uh, Lorenzo Snow... Uh, that's been well documented of the vision that he had of Jesus Christ uh, physically appearing to him in the Salt Lake Temple right after he was called to be uh, president of the church. In fact, I'll never forget one of the temple workers. Chris and I were ha- celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary, and we went back to Salt Lake Temple where we'd been married. And we were just in this celestial room having such a great time. And we were just pondering, and we didn't realize that they closed at noon, and and we'd gone there in the morning, and we were sitting there and sitting there and sitting there, <laughs> and this sweet old temple worker just sitting there smiling at us, and we didn't notice nobody was coming and going 
in the celestial room anymore. And uh, he came over to us and he said, uh, I really hate to bother you, but the, the temple has been closed for an hour now. <laughs> and, and I just wondered how long you would like to stay here. And we said, oh, we didn't know. We're sorry. We, we didn't know that it closed. We're so sorry. We, we can go right now. And he said, well, you look like you're having a special experience. And we said, well, it's our 10th anniversary. Yeah. And he said, well, would you like to see something special? <clears throat> and so he took us back and he showed us just off the celestial room in the Salt Lake Temple. He showed us where the, the bed, where Lorenzo Snow actually lived or slept in the temple. And his desk there, his bed. And he took us over to the staircase and he said, this is where President Snow told his granddaughter that this is where Jesus appeared to him. Jesus appeared right here. Uh, Scott, you know, I know Joseph Smith saw the Father and the Son. I know that. I've been to the Sacred Grove many times, and even once with you, and I, I know they appeared there. But when when we have so many eye and ear witnesses of the physical resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it's, I, it's hard for me to understand anybody who, who could leave the church or reject the testimonies of prophets and apostles when we have so many of these witnesses. And I don't, I don't believe them just because they say it. I, I believe this because the Holy Ghost has borne witness to me that they're telling the truth, and it's true. And I remember my own special witness of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. You know, I think everyone should ask themselves, have I had that witness? Now, I know it could be part of a general testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the restoration of the, of the gospel and a, a testimony of Jesus that you believe that that he lives, but I remember receiving a sure witness of the of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it was when I was a young man. Uh, Chris and I had just moved into Highland, our Highland ward, and uh, Brother Lacombe had cancer, and uh, Brother Lacombe uh, had these beautiful, this beautiful family, these younger children. I think I think Brother Lacombe was uh, probably about 40 years old. He was probably about 10 years older than me. I remember the day in priesthood meeting. I was sitting in the elders' quorum in the morning, and, and our good bishop uh, came into the elders' quorum and announced to us, uh, just wanted you to know that Brother Lacombe died this morning. Oh, man. Scott, I was about 30 years old, and I... I, I hadn't really, I mean, I had seen death and I had experienced some friends, but not really, not really too many in my family who, who had died and not even really any grandparents because most of my, three of my grandparents died when I was either not born yet or when I was really young. And I just hadn't had anybody who I really knew close to me who had died like that. And it really affected me for some reason. I loved the Lacombe family, and uh, I remember when the bishop made that announcement, what came into my mind was, if Brother Lacombe 
is not going to rise from the dead, what are you doing sent here? You're wasting your time. Very similar to the question that Paul asked the Corinthian saints, right, in 1 Corinthians 15. I think we, re- we read that be- in our last Yeah, we read last that last week. week. Yep. <clears throat> that, uh, that we're wasting our time. If, if Jesus isn't resurrected, we're wasting our time, Paul. Paul makes that statement. And I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, if Brother Lacombe isn't going to rise from the dead, you, what are you doing sitting here? You're wasting your time. You might as well go home. And as I thought that, Scott, the Holy Ghost washed over me. It was powerful. It was the still, small voice, but powerful, small, simple testimony. I knew. I knew that he would live again. I'll never forget that. It became a powerful, sure witness to me. I knew that that came from a, a heavenly, divine source, and it wasn't coming from me. And uh, I'll always be grateful for that moment in an elders' quorum, receiving that testimony, sure witness of the resurrection, uh, the universal resurrection, really. And so I, I, I hope our listeners will maybe uh, review their their life, their testimony, what they believe, uh, what they accept in faith, and, and what they know about the resurrection. One of the unique parts of our culture is we talk about the morning of the first resurrection. And so I, I kind of want to just talk about the... I talk about this sometimes in the uh, temple when I'm doing ceilings because the the... the the wording in the temple marriage or sealing ceremony in the temple uh, talks about the coming forth in the morning of the first resurrection. And that's a phrase that we use in, I, th- I think I've said that in probably most patriarchal blessings I've given. I think many patriarchs do, as I visit with those who I know who are patriarchs. But it's not necessarily in every, te- in every patriarchal blessing. It doesn't have to be there. But I think about the morning of the first resurrection. That was a that's not that phrase is not in the scriptures. The scriptures talk about the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. The scriptures do use the phrase the first resurrection, and the scriptures do use the phrase the last resurrection. So we know that there are two resurrections, a first and last, or resurrection of the just or unjust. The prophet Joseph Smith, because I believe of the scriptures in 76 and 88 and other, other revelations that he had received, uh, he began to talk about the morning of the first resurrection in his teachings. And I think one of the first times he talked about it was a funeral for a brother Barnes. I think his first name was maybe Lorenzo Barnes. And in this... Uh, in this funeral address, which was in Nauvoo, uh, Joseph Smith talks about the morning of the first resurrection. And he talks about it, and he uses that term about three or four times, in the morning of the first resurrection. 
And and we we again you can see it in Doctrine and Covenants. They don't use the term morning, but you can see that there are different parts and there's different timing of the resurrection. And that each kingdom of glory, celestial kingdom, terrestrial glory, telestial, that all of them there's an order to their resurrection. And we we learn in the scriptures, we know that nobody who's a terrestrial being will be resurrected until all of those who are celestial or who have lived the celestial law. So section 88, Scott talks about you can only receive a celestial body or celestial glory if you're willing to to live a celestial law, and that no one who's terrestrial will be resurrected or come forth until those who have lived the celestial life will be resurrected. So there's an order to the resurrection. And the the morning of the first resurrection, that phrase is referring to those who all were resurrected, who lived before the Christ, who lived the celestial law. All of those who were resurrected since Christ, who have lived a celestial law. And we have we know that individuals have been resurrected since Christ. We know that the resurrection is ongoing, and we know that we are in the morning of the first resurrection, meaning when those who are are celestial are resurrected. That is the morning of the first resurrection. We know that Peter's resurrected. James is resurrected. We know that Moroni's resurrected. Um, there's an interesting account of a, a good man in... Blanding, Utah, who witnessed the resurrection of a of a Lamanite little girl. You know, he even sees hair come on her head and and as a crystal or something of a decorative nature in her hair. And he witnesses this little, uh, I think he says seven or eight year old little girl who was resurrected. This in the early 1900s, as he's plowing his field, and it's made known to him that that someone with the priesthood who probably dedicated that grave said that, that her body would not be disturbed until the morning of the first resurrection. So I, I, the resurrection is ongoing, and I think these miracles are occurring all the time that we may not be aware of, which, however, some individuals have seen. And, and our, our listeners can look that up. It was Zeke Johnson, Ezekiel Johnson, in Blanding, Utah, who shared that experience. Uh, and the only reason I really believe it, Scott, I mean, our listeners can choose to believe it or not. It's not going not to affect their salvation, whether they do or don't. But the reason I believe it is because I know somebody who lived in Blanding, who was a seminary teacher at Blanding, and he knew the family, and he heard the story, and he shared with me his own personal witness and testimony of that and because of my love and my trust in that good brother who shared that with me i i don't disbelieve it i'll tell you that i don't know if it's true or not but i don't disbelieve it and i know the resurrection continues and all of this we're in the morning of the first resurrection right and now. it will continue yeah it will continue through the second coming of jesus christ and at some point in the in the millennium when all of those who have lived a celestial law are resurrected, then we move into what is, you could call, don't hear this phrase, but we could call it the afternoon or the evening, I prefer probably evening, the evening of the first resurrection, 
which is when all of those who have lived a terrestrial life or law will be resurrected. That's the evening of the first resurrection. Then the last resurrection, or the resurrection of the unjust, there's, we could say there's a morning of the last resurrection, which is those who lived a telestial life. Those who lived a telestial life, and by the way, the Doctrine and Covenants section 76 gives you a whole description of what you have to do to go to the telestial kingdom. <laughs> you know, how bad you have to be to go to the telestial kingdom. It's pretty clear. Uh, so you can, you can read what it takes to live a telestial or a terrestrial or a celestial life. And that would be the morning of the last resurrection for all of those who uh, are going to experience the celestial kingdom or glory. And then uh, the sons of perdition will also be resurrected, Scott. And that would probably, we could refer to as the evening of the last resurrection. So there's kind of four parts to the resurrection and the order of the resurrection based upon the law that they were willing to live and the glory or in the case of sun perdition, outer darkness, that they are going to experience. You know, this is one of the effects, and we're going to talk about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, not so much today, but as we roll into uh, next upcoming episodes, uh, we'll, we'll be talking about the effects. But this is actually one of the unconditional effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, is the resurrection. And I wanted to point that out today, because this isn't just us coming back to life. This is us coming back to our body, our body and our spirit being reunited in perfect form. Uh, none of us have ever experienced that before. You know, we, we experience life and we get great deal of pleasure and satisfaction and joy uh, out of having bodies and just living this life. Uh, but we are in an imperfect body because of the fall of mankind. We are subjected to that fall. Our body and our spirit are both subjected to that fall and we feel those effects. When that resurrection happens, we will be made perfect. Our bodies will be made perfect. Not a hair of our head will go unnumbered, right? Everything will be made right. Uh, you, I'll be, uh, I'll be, uh, you know, six foot two and uh, two hundred and five pounds of muscle or something. I don't know. Probably not. And but, I'll still be better looking than you. <laughs> and that's exactly in the resurrection. And because that's equitable. <laughs> so, so, so you know, our bodies I, are our bodies are sacred, Scott. They and, really and, and, are, and that's my you're, point. You're making a really important point which is that, that we, we will not lose our identity, that our, the, when we come forth in the resurrection, some of the scars, some of the th imperfections of our body will not be there, but that we will have the same bodies. You know, the prophet Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both taught that, that uh, there is a fundamental part, and I think what they were really describing, you know, I, uh, the DNA... Don't even really know what that stands for, except some long word. Something nucleic acid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it really wasn't in. I don't think it really people knew much about it until the mid 1900s. I mean, they couldn't really put structure on it. They didn't know it was a helix and that until until the mid 1900s. I even though apparently some someone may have found that a Swiss Swiss uh, scientist. Uh, back in the uh, late 1800s. But I think what they were describing, Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, uh, Orson Pratt talks about Joseph Smith teaching this, that there were fundamental parts of a body and that those fundamental parts were the building blocks upon which the resurrection would take place. Uh, 
bring them in, call them the component parts of our of our bodies that would not be lost, that could not ever possibly be lost. I think about my my uh, uncle, you know, whom my mom would always, you know, we had a big giant picture, remember, in Carl? Yeah, in yeah. the room of her brother. Yeah. Her little brother. They yeah. were very close. He was just a few years younger than my mom. Th- Carl Taylor was a really important part of my mom's history and we as children were always hearing stories about her little brother Carl and about the day that the the person was dispatched to their home and uh, he he was missing in action that he'd been shot down World War the, 2 over the English Channel and uh you know the effect that that had on my mom and her family and i even remember thinking and when i was a little older and i heard stories of carl wow where, he was shot down he was he's still missing in action they mm-hmm. never found his body it was in the ocean it's been lost it's dissolved it's been who knows i mean i i some who knows where his body is but god knows and the, and his dna will never be lost and out of that DNA, that component, fundamental part of his body, his perfected body will be not just recreated, but perfected. And he will come forth. Uh, I, I know that that's true. And, you know, the, the Doctrine and Covenants, when you were talking about the resurrection and the second coming, I love this uh, scripture in section 133, talking about the second coming. Verse 56, and the graves of the saints shall be opened, and they shall come forth and stand on the right hand of the Lamb, when he shall stand upon Mount Zion and upon the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and they shall sing the song of the Lamb day and night forever and ever. And for this cause that men might be made partakers of the glories which were to be revealed the Lord sent the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant. I love that testimony, and I, I know that's true, that the resurrection is ongoing. It does continue, but it will be um, what an amazing uh, event to for us to behold, Scott, when Jesus comes again and the graves of the saints are opened and will come with Jesus. And I have many loved ones who I look forward to seeing, who I know will be on the right hand of God when he, of Christ, when he comes, when he comes again. And I look forward to meeting them. I, I believe I, I look forward to the day when maybe at Adam on Diamond, when he even appears there, that some of those resurrected beings, ancestors, family, will be there at, at Adam on Diamond uh, in preparation for his appearance to the world in glory when there will be, you know, some major changes made in the world and the wicked will be burned and the, the righteous caught up in a rapture. And I believe in those events. I know they're true. And uh, I hope, I just really hope and pray that our listeners will seek to receive that witness for themselves of the resurrection, the reality, the reality of the resurrection 
and of the uh, coming events, which uh, we all pray will happen soon when Christ comes again to the earth. Even the, even the earth will be, to some degree, changed, Scott, and renewed back to its paradisical glory. You know, I'm, I wanted to say this because it'll affect my family, your family, and all of our listeners' families. Alma, when he was trying to help his son Corianton, when wayward Corianton was struggling, the one thing that Alma wanted to make sure Corianton had right in his mind was the resurrection that the resurrection was real and that it was going to happen and that he should understand that there would be a resurrection and a judgment. That was really an important doctrinal point that Alma, father, prophet, wanted his wayward son to know because he knew that if he could get Corianton to feel, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the truthfulness of that, that it would change his behavior. And Scott, I know that's true. If we could all get a witness and help our children and our children's children to get a witness of the reality and the divinity of the resurrection and the judgment, it will change how we approach life and it'll change our behaviors. Thank you to all of our listeners and... uh, We'll look forward to next time we're going to talk about, and this is maybe my, I don't know, I don't have probably a favorite part in this course, Um, but I really, really love to talk about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the events. We spent how many, four or five podcasts on that now? Yeah, yeah. On the events of the atonement. And uh, next week we'll begin to talk about the effects of, of the atonement of Jesus Christ, conditional and unconditional effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And uh, I look forward to that. That actually is my favorite part of the course, because that's kind of what brings us together, Dave. You know, this, uh, your my background is a little bit different than yours that brings us to this. And, and it's the effects. It's the hope. It's the healing. It's the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ that brought me around. That will bring us all around eventually. And it is definitely my favorite part of what we're def- what we'll be talking about here. Hey, gang, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, good time to shoot emails to us at uh, heredeemsus at gmail.com as we come into the effects and we start talking about all of the things that are upcoming. Uh, so much of the questions that you've already asked will fit. Thanks so much for being with us, everybody. We look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, be well. Mm-hmm.